Hey everyone, welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket Pharma podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Wildner-Higney. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Peter Crane. Dr. Peter Crane is a venture investor at Outsized Ventures, a late seed investor based in the UK. At Outsized Ventures, they partner with ambitious European founders building science-centric businesses. Within healthcare, they've supported entrepreneurs across therapeutic biotech, diagnostics, health tech, agri-food, life sciences tools, and frontier technologies. Before moving across into venture, Peter was a strategy lead at a deep technology company working at the intersection of technology and biology. He wrote and spoke on engineering biology, metadata in biology, active machine learning, and advanced therapy bioprocessing. Previously, he was working in biopharma and running healthcare accelerators. He has a doctor of philosophy from Oxford University in chemical biology and an undergraduate master's in chemistry from Warwick University. He lives in Oxford, UK, and is a bona fide animal lover. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining the show, uh, and thank you for being here today. Yeah, absolute pleasure to join. Uh, it's uh... You know, it's it's nice to you know talk to my colleagues across across the ponds. Uh, you know, here from here in Oxford. So um, yeah, always a pleasure. Fantastic. You know, maybe to start out and kind of give some background for the listeners, I'd love to understand you know, what inspires you to work in healthcare. What started you down this path? Yeah, sure. So um, let me give a little bit of a you know a a flavor for how I got to where I am, and you know why my sort of whole career has been you know around and in healthcare. You know, as you sort of alluded to in, in, your, in your intro, I originally was a scientist. So I was a, um, a lab, lab chemist, you know, doing natural sciences. And I really realized that, you know, I, I didn't want to go into, you know, sort of the usual sort of career paths for a chemist, you know, a, a banker, a lawyer, oil and gas, but really wanted to apply those skills, you know, in an industry where I could have a real impact upon patients. So this has been the whole sort of motivation of my last 10 years in healthcare is, you know, whether it's natural sciences, whether it's on the digital side, whether it's on, you know, on the business side, it's always been about helping patients and helping people, not just individual patients, but helping generations to resolve sort of healthcare challenges. You know, I, I do think, you know, now being on the venture side, we do look more broadly at challenges. So we also look at challenges around climate and society. But for me, it's always been drummed into me from a very early part of my career that if you want to make, a, what we might say in the UK, a quick buck, a quick dollar, you don't come into healthcare. You, you know, you come <laughs> into healthcare to do well by patients. And if you do well yeah. by patients, you do well financially. And as an investor, you do well. So for me, it's really, you know, and, and looking, you know, let's take a step back as well and looking more broadly. I am a scientist, you know, originally, I want to work, you know, in areas where there's, there's excitement, and there's progress being made, and there's unmet needs being, being solved. And I view as, you know, certain parts of healthcare as having those huge, huge challenges for us to, uh, to, for us to solve a society. So stuff like Alzheimer's, the COVID pandemic is exposed, you know, maybe the best and worst of um, sort of our preparedness around vaccines. So for me, big problems, unmet needs, you know, helping patients, scientific base, for me, that's really what inspired me to sort of get into initially, but then also stay in healthcare. And, you, you know, I've had forays where I've spent a few months trying to looking at fintech. Doesn't get me excited, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I, can't, I just can't get excited by sort of payments processing and stuff like that. You know, so for me, it's, it's patience, it's science, it's helping people or enabling others to help people 
which is what really, really inspires me to get up in the morning. I absolutely love that. And I think it's so important to focus on the patient and the financial results will follow. Although I hope it isn't dissuading any talented entrepreneurs from entering the space, right? Because healthcare is really hard, you know? No, no and, and that's, the, that's the thing, right? So, so it's hard. I think the thing that always surprised me was the health, certainly maybe it's different in the US, certainly in the UK, the healthcare and biotech sectors, you know, it's an incredibly supportive ecosystem. It, it's yeah. an ecosystem that you get into because you want to change the world in 10 years time. I mean, like if you're developing a, a drug now, you know, where, where we can talk about what the future of medicine is going to look like. Well, let's look at the pipelines of pharmaceutical companies now. That's what it's going to look like in five or six years. It, it's a long-term game. The financial rewards are there for entrepreneurs that want to make a difference. 100% are there. You're not going to get a, a 12-month, you know, 18-month. Some of the deals we've seen recently in, in, in the financial sort of services and fintech markets, you're not going to see that sort of stuff in healthcare. But the impact's there, the outcomes are there, you know, the, the financial rewards are there, just a slightly different game. That's very fair. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about Outsized Ventures and, you know, how are you and your fund adding unique value to the healthcare ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, it's, this is one of our one of our favorite, favorite points of discussion. So as a fund, we're generalists. So we invest broadly across science and engineering focused companies. What's quite nice about that is, you know, you do start to see convergences uh, between different technology areas. So it could be, you know, photonic uh, sensing and sort of glucose uh, monitoring. So there's been a company recently that's released product in that space. It could be, you know, the intersection of tech and bio, which has now become quite a quite an important uh, area. So having the generalist thesis, I think, gives us that ability to start broad and then sort of really go into uh, into the areas of opportunity. But as a VC fund, we also don't over you know, so let's be frank, like over egg our own value that we provide to this ecosystem. You know, our value is to support founders that are building companies that are changing tomorrow. You know, we're not building those companies. You know, we're not in the in the trenches every day. I mean, it's, this is industry is a tough industry. We're not in those in those trenches every day, you know, fighting with sales cycles and trying to convince people to adopt a product or, you know, doing R&D in the labs. So when we looked at this as a firm and how we could add the most value to those entrepreneurs, we kind of came to the conclusion that we felt, certainly in Europe, that a lot of differentiation between VC firms in terms of value add to an ecosystem is often kind of nothing more than, you know, marketing, PR, and, you know, all that, all that sort of bits. So for us, what's the value add we can provide for an entrepreneur? It's we can write checks as quickly as we possibly can. So we don't spend and for US listeners, this might be quite surprising, but in, in Europe, it's still quite common to have a really long and drawn out fundraising process, unlike in America, where things happen a lot quicker. So let's give our European companies more of an American style fundraising process, a lot quicker and a lot more, um, a lot more to the point. And, and once we've invested in the company, let's try and, to be perfectly frank, get the hell out of the way of the entrepreneur and let them try and build that company. Yeah, sure, we're going to be there, you know, helping them raise their next round. We're on the end of the phone. We're we can help them with all the bits that they might want to do, but we're not selling on that service to those founders. The very best founders don't want a VC interfering on their day-to-day, -day, especially in a market where I, I spent, yeah, the last couple of years, you know, in drug discovery and, and life sciences. But I'm very conscious within a couple of years, you know, that knowledge will, you know, the market will have moved on, techniques will have moved on, contacts will have moved on, and the value add that we can provide there would be, would be lower. So we try to add value. Uh, we try to add value by providing capital as quickly and as cleanly as possible. 
we like to think we add value in other ways. We certainly understand the space. So that's probably like, you know, in itself, maybe, you know, we're, we're comfortable with stuff like technical risk. We're comfortable with stuff with like long sales cycles, which in itself is a maybe a value add. But really, it's about getting out of the way, not interfering with, with brilliant founders who are trying to build up companies for tomorrow and letting them get on and building those companies. It's hard enough to build these companies in healthcare without investors there nagging you every every week. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And it's it's a very kind of, I'd say, humble approach too, and recognizing that these entrepreneurs who are living closest to the problems, right, and living and breathing their specific business are probably in the best position to solve those problems. And you guys are playing more of a support role in doing the yeah. best you can on the financial side. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And look, I mean, just, just about to that, I mean, it kind of comes back to what we say when we're investing in companies as well, is, is we like to back founders who have found like, what might appear quite boring problems. And healthcare really, you know, let's be frank, especially outside of drug discovery, really is, a, is an industry about solving lots of very small, health, uh, boring problems, putting them together into a larger solution, and then creating value through, through that process. But you don't find, you don't read about those boring problems until someone has kind of started solving them. You don't see them in Forbes. You only find those boring problems by being on the ground, you know, talking to doctors, being a doctor, being in the pharmacies yourself, engaging with people that are trying to deliver healthcare, deliver drugs, you know, create drugs. You know, there are the academics working on on sort of some of the uh, on the new advances. You don't see those problems unless you're that close, unless you're that close to the uh, the challenges. The challenges for the entrepreneurs is often then seeing that problem, and then being able to communicate that bigger vision for how that transform healthcare and you know we don't try and say you know we you know we have to invest in you know whatever the latest trendy thing is in healthcare because yep. you know by the time it's trendy it's kind of it's the the opportunities maybe sort of the, maybe the opportunity's gone. Yeah. And so maybe for listeners, are you only investing in European companies or are you also investing in kind of companies across the world? We're only investing in European companies. Um, got it. One of the kind of the thesis that we've, we've got is, you know, we think there's some fantastic US venture firms back in healthcare and um, yep. sort of uh, drug discovery companies. And we're also now seeing an increasing number of those firms and other firms appearing in the UK to back to back you know, deep tech or healthcare companies uh, at Series A and sometimes even earlier. But we still in the UK have a little bit of gap and certainly walk across Europe, we have a little bit of gap between a traditional seed round and the usual Series A round. And this is, this is quite common for companies that are trying to do hard science and engineering or sell it to the healthcare environment because things take longer, things are harder, things are slower than expected. So we're playing in Europe, we're playing a late seed, seed plus uh, strategy and just trying to help companies really accelerate towards really, really compelling Series A's and uh, really compelling sort of you know moment you agree know, to start helping them to build a little bit of momentum in uh, what they're doing i love it and it's going to be great to for those entrepreneurs and all the innovation that's coming out of europe to have a capital partner to you know help them scale the business and and bring it to market one question i have for you and i'd love for you to discuss is just really what are the the big themes and kind of opportunities that you're seeing across kind of drug discovery or this deep tech healthcare that you are focused on yeah, sure. Um, I'll comment. I'll comment on these. Uh, however, I'll prefix that by saying what I get really excited about is the themes that I don't know about. Um, so founders that come in and say, you know, look, 
you know, here's a problem that you like no one knows about because it's just you know everyone's ignoring it or everyone's um, you know too busy doing other stuff. And um, so look, I mean, um, I spent the last few years you know working with and around companies in the advanced therapy space. So for us, that's an area of real interest. Um, and let, let me just give a little bit of context for, for the listeners. So if we look back at, at the drug discovery or the pharmaceutical industry over the last sort of say, let's say 30, 40 years, we've seen the industry transition from dominantly chemistry-based, so uh, small molecules, chemistry-based products, molecular weight, a couple of hundred Daltons, stuff like aspirin. You know, I mean, it's, it's a bad example because it's from you know, hundreds of hundred years ago, but, but that sort of size, size of molecule into biologically based products. So this was originally like MABs and monoclonal antibodies and therapeutic proteins and other sorts of products along those lines. So companies like Genentech, Amgen. And then, of course, you know, we saw the wider industry move this way about 10, 15 years ago and kind of saw every pharmaceutical company rebrand as a biopharmaceutical company to sort of say, hey, guys, you know, we, we don't just do some molecules, now we do the whole range of sort of what I might call modalities and the biological modalities. Yeah. And what's been really interesting is if you were to sort of like plot a chart of like modalities over time or, you know, and modalities like is this is a chemistry-based product, is this is a biological product, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing that's causing the therapeutic action, is you would see that, you know, you went from small molecules, you went to MAPS, and it took about, you know, 30 years probably to make that, fully make that transition. And in the last 10, 15 years, we've just had an absolute Cambrian explosion of new ways to treat disease. So, and this ranges from, you know, from gene therapy. So, yeah, you know, putting stuff inside lentiviruses or inside AAV uh, kind of capsids, all the way through to sort of, you know, cell therapies. So it could be stem cells, it could be T cells, it could be there's a whole range of different cells. So it could be patient specific, it could be more generalized, so autologous versus allogeneic. And now on top of that, we're also seeing all these other levels of complexity. So this could be the microbiome. So you're in your gut or in your, or in your skin and how this interacts with your body or mRNA. And well, this is the greatest technology in small molecules, you know, peptides. It's just, you know, digital therapeutics. It's just in a continuously exploding space of options for how we can treat disease. And this is really interesting because it's a little bit like machine learning. You know, if you're looking for someone with 50 years industrial, you know, not 50 years is a bad example, but 20 years industrial experience in mRNA, they probably don't exist. Because right? as a space, it's been around like, yeah. you know, like what, since like 2013, if that. So <laughs> like we're at like year eight or something now of this of this market. But the ability to open up new areas of biology has has really driven this. So, you know, moving from sort of stuff to manage manage conditions to treating conditions, you know, the speed at which we can develop products around those areas is now incredible. All all that sort of stuff being brought to bear on, on tough biology, I think, is is incredible. But as a as a VC fund, as a slightly small VC fund, sometimes you know it's hard for us fund we're closing is not a huge fund. It's hard for us to really participate in what is now a very, very vibrant, a very, very big money, big ticket therapeutic environment. So where I get really excited is I get excited by kind of the second order effects of that Cambrian explosion. So we saw this with cellogene therapies where it's great that you can make a patient-specific therapy. Uh, you can take T cells out of a patient's body, you can engineer them and you can put them back in. That doesn't really work unless you have the infrastructure, unless you have the hardware, unless you have the software, unless you have all the capabilities to industrialize that process from an academic process into a, into a large-scale operation. So that's where we're getting really excited, is across this modality space is all that second gener all that second order tooling that's going to be required to deliver these products at a commercial scale. And we think there's great opportunities to invest there, both in 
discovery tools. So it could be like machine learning applied to engineering of certain cell types. It could be hardware. So it could be sort of like bioreactors. It could be downstream purification equipment that purifies the stuff once it's been created. It, it could be uh, software and digital infrastructure for managing patient-specific therapy delivery or data management. So we're really excited specifically about that area. We also we do also invest in you know the occasional sort of you know therapeutic platform where maybe maybe the approach or the biology really gives us an alpha on the market. It hasn't been commoditized yet. You know it's maybe a so we did an mRNA company out of Boston that was on Onco Selective mRNAs and a, a tumor stroma machine learning company out of out of Toronto as well, which again emerging space of biology where machine learning could really be applied. But for us, it's that tooling, it's that infrastructure you know, that gives you ability to do new biology. And, uh, you know, that's where we spend a lot of our time looking rather than the more traditional sort of biopharma maps or cancer drugs sort of style markets. Yeah. And you know, imagine with this explosion of modalities that the industry, you know, the pharma value chain, right? So from the yeah. drug discovery all the way down to kind of access and delivering the drug to the patient is going to have to adjust, right? And it's going to have to change. I would love your thoughts on what sort of change do you think the value chain will have to or will go through in the coming years as these new modalities enter the market? Well, well I mean, look, it's going to have it's going to have to be torn up, basically. <laughs> you know, you know so, so, so we're not talking about change here. We're talking about a, about a revolution. We're talking in it's really that move towards sort of precision medicine, right? Getting like the right drug to the right patient at the right time. But if, if you don't, I mean, let's set the autology self-therapy space. So companies that are creating all these kind of wonder cures for hematological cancers, so cancers of the blood. There's been a huge amount of investment just in the last couple of years into manufacturing and delivery, uh, and also a lot of interesting pricing around that, in, around that market, because suddenly you've got products that, you know, rather than, let's take an antibody, an antibody, you produce that on tens of thousands of liters scale. It's a, it's a mass market product. You bottle it up into vials. You ship that around, okay, you know, this patient's got that, we give, we'll, give, we'll try them out on that, and yeah, if it works, it doesn't work, whatever. But with this cell therapy space, we're taking the patient's cells, we'll have, have to engineer them, get them back to the patient, put them back into their body, and it's also curative. So it's not yeah. just it's, it's the pricing of these products. This is why the product, sometimes the pricing of these products is in the hundreds of thousands to the millions. Um, you've got all that manufacturing complexity. You've got all that sort of N of one level delivery. So it's not a mass market product. but Unfortunately, you've still got all the biological complexity that comes with a large-scale product. So somehow you have to be able to break that barrier between delivering a much more complex product in a much lower volume and at a cost that's a, at a cost that's sort of at least approachable to sort of payers and stuff. So it's a real challenge. And if you think about it like that, we're not talking about just point solutions here. We're talking about full-scale change of how we develop and deliver products. So it could be rather than, rather than waiting for a patient to present with you know kind of an anatomical you know presentation of disease, maybe we're testing preemptively to prevent disease or identify uh, patients with you know a genetic predisposition towards a certain condition. We're then monitoring them and intervening in a much more early stage. But then it's like, well, actually, who gets the benefit of that? Is it their current insurers? Yep. Is it the, you know, is it is it like an is it like a mortgage? You know, how does that work? And all this, so so it's not just once you start thinking of N of one, you start thinking more complex biology, you start thinking combinations of biology. So maybe a digital therapeutic plus a product plus a campaigning and diagnostic. You're really getting into a space where it's it's that cost complexity issue that's coming up again and and this is why we think tooling is so important because tooling is the only thing that can really maybe tooling and regulation would be the only two things that can help bridge that gap so 
we think there's going to be, you know, and look, be frank, you know, as an investor that, you know, we don't have hundreds of millions of dollars. I can't do um, big therapeutic discovery platforms like, like some investors. When I see investors pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into selling gene therapies, into stem cells, into gene therapies, into mRNA, into microbiome, I'm looking and thinking, okay, so these products are going to be hitting the market in six to seven years, probably, to get through the clinical trials process. Yep. What technology is going to be able to enable to us to deliver those products to patients at scale? Or to make it viable to deliver those products to patients at scale, and that's why where I get sort of excited. And there's lots of boring problems in that space, you know, from <laughs> how you pack vials to you know how you quality control products. So there's there's loads of there's loads of really big boring problems to be solved solved in that part of the value chain. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, across the guests on this podcast, something that keeps on coming up is you know how are we going to deliver and contract for these curative drugs that are coming down the pipeline. And part of it is around pricing, right? More kind of looking at value-based contracting. But then there's also a notion of like, is the overall insurance industry kind of positioned to contract for these therapies? And the second thing is the services, right? And kind of some of those Mm -hmm. boring problems that you were highlighting, like how do you, you know, build the supply chain? in a cost-effective manner and get it to the patient and provide those wraparound services so that you're not just delivering a $100,000 drug to a patient, they take it, and then maybe they take it once or they're not following up, and then they have poor adherence and there's no benefit. And actually, those wraparound services that that support the patient. And it's it's, it's finding the resource to cost those services that delay future costs in like five years time, but finding the budget to resource them now is the sort of challenge, isn't it? It's, it's always the case in healthcare, everyone's like knows what they should be doing. They can't because they have the budget. So it's like they're, they're watching like, you know, the, the tsunami coming and it's like, we all know it's going to come, but it's like, we can't do anything about it. So. Yep. I'm optimistic, but also very cautious around how the next 10 years will shake out. I mean, something has has to give because you know, I think at the end of the day too, and I'd love your thoughts on this, is this represents a huge opportunity for the patient, right? And to what you were saying in the beginning about how this is all focused on patient improving lives. But what are your thoughts around you know, how this bolus of new therapies that are curative coming down the pipeline will change the industry from a patient perspective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think more broadly, the way that we sort of see this at Outsized Ventures is, you know, a move from an ecosystem where the patient is, I'm sure there's a better way of describing this. I'm, I'm not fully up to date on all of the, the sort of healthcare literature around this, but a, a move where patients are kind of the, the receivers of healthcare to a move where patients are managing their own healthcare experience. Yeah. So we really see an ecosystem of products forming around patients that enable them to choose when they want to intervene in their healthcare, choose how they want to intervene in their healthcare, and be in control of those decisions. If you want to have you know, preventative early screening diagnostics being run, brilliant. You can do that. You can choose that. Where I'm less certain, especially here in the UK, is, is how we uh, resource that again to my to my earlier point, it's one of the big challenges which is that I see is, is a lot of startup companies will come and they'll say, you know, we are changing the patient experience, we're like, we can choose what they want, you know, we can delivering a better quality of service, we're saving this this amount of value, we're creating this amount of value for the healthcare system. But that's not sort of, you know, that's like economic value, it's not sort of, you know, cash 
cash back in my pocket that I can spend on other things immediately. So there's always that sort of there's always that little bit again to my point. There's always that little bit of conflict between the short term and the long term around this. But look, we view it as patient experience is going to be the new thing. It's going to be about patients taking control of their own of their own sort of pathway through the healthcare system. They've been able to choose what interventions they want. You have to choose ideally where they want those interventions. So do I want to if I'm doing like a yearly mole check, like check for skin cancer, maybe I'll use like a teledermatology service to allow me to do that from home. And ideally, those services would be both lower cost to healthcare services, uh, but also better patient experience as well. And if we can get that sort of lower cost and better patient experience around those services, that's what will drive forward that, uh, you know, sort of that adoption of those of, of those products. But specifically around the, the curative, about around the curative sort of stuff, I mean, there's some, I think before you can get to kind of the patient bit around them, you know, look, these products are still predominantly in sort of rare diseases or in like hematological cancers. I think there still needs to be a lot of sort of base level behind the scenes innovation into sort of, you know, base manufacturing, the R&D to stay all these to solid tumours, more indications before we're going to see that sort of larger mass market problems caused by these products. I think we're probably, we're probably still about 10 years away from seeing some of those products coming on and really disrupting, you know, the wider oncology markets or, or, or some of those other, other areas. But who knows, it might be sooner. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Peter, thank you so much for speaking with us today and, and joining the show. This has been a fantastic conversation and, and fascinating, quite honestly. I'd love if you could just give us a closing thought and also where the best places that listeners can connect with you. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, I'd always say to anyone who's working in healthcare, keep sight on helping people. It's a hard industry, but the great thing about it is it's like, you know, the most valuable things are hard and, you know, healthcare <laughs> is one of the hardest industries. I suspect the only industry that's maybe harder is the climate at the moment, but it's also a good good industry to go in if you're, uh, if you're very mission-driven. I mean, we're always happy to chat to founders and entrepreneurs, people in the community that are trying to do, do hard stuff. You know, we love talking to people that people think are crazy. A lot of my job is is trying to determine whether someone's good crazy or bad crazy. You know, yeah, we're just trying to, trying to find people that really want to change the world. Best way to get in touch with me is LinkedIn or email. So, you know, my LinkedIn, I'm sure you guys will put it on the on the recording or something. But my, my email as well, so peter at outsize.vc. I'm always happy to take, you know, cold, cold emails from people that are yeah, generally trying to build something new in this industry. Awesome. Well, thank you, Peter, again, and have a wonderful day. That'd be a pleasure, man. Appreciate it.